Hey, welcome to the Hopecast. This week we're looking at Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19, where Jesus encourages his disciples, and of course, by extension, us today, to persevere in him, no matter what may come, no matter what hard times, persevere in him. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 21 today, verses 5 through 19, and uh the passage today is about kind of perseverance. It's about not perseverance in ourselves, but perseverance in Christ. Um, and, you know, in, in my life, I've, I've persevered through many things. Of course, school, right? Not just K-12, college, then two different master's degrees, graduate degrees. Um, and that second one was tough because we had kids and it was, I was older and I was falling asleep reading my textbook late at night and it was... It was heavy. Uh, I persevered through work. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to find a, a good job in our county, work with, you know, work, working with one of the better employers, the school system. They've been really good to me, good to our family. But, you know, there's been, like with everything, there's been ups and downs. Uh, there's been times in, in the school system that I have not enjoyed. Um, there's been times uh, administrators, uh, not just, you know, principals, but supervisors, superintendents that, you know, have not been my favorite. Um, but, but I've come to learn that that's one great thing about the school system is if you don't like something, just wait, it'll change. <laughs> it, it always does. Um, you just wait a year or two, it'll change. Um, we persevere in our relationships. I've, I've persevered through, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have married the best woman alive. Uh, she perseveres with me. I know, David, you look surprised. <laughs> you thought you... I don't... <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> oh, man. Uh... <laughs> um, she's persevered with me probably more than the other way. Uh, it's, it's definitely been uh, more her work than it is mine, um, persevered through things like uh, youth camp. I know a few. there's a few of us in here that have been to youth camp. You may have been to like a kid's camp or just any kind of outing with students or, or young adults. Vacation, have you ever been on a family vacation with young kids? It's not relaxing. It's just not. Um, we want to have fun. We try to have fun, and we do have some fun. But in the end, when we get home, I, I would love to have another week off where they go to school and then I'd stay home, right? That would be like the real vacation, right? Um, in youth camp, Mary, Mary was kind of one of the first ones to bring this to my attention. Um, right around the third day, uh, usually on Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday, depending on, you know, what, what your camp schedule looks like, um, the students get really cranky, right, because they haven't eaten well, um, they're away from home, they haven't slept well, and it's starting to catch up with them, right? And so we persevere through that through that midweek. Uh, we've had to, to persevere through that midweek kind of hump, right? Um, we persevere through midweek, probably maybe every week, right, for, for most of us. Um, we have to persevere, right? Uh, we have to do things that we don't want to do that are not fun. This is something I've had to have a conversation with with my boys many, many times. Um, 
hey, you need to do this, but I don't want to do that. Well, well, I know. I don't want to do it either, but we have to do it. These are things that we have to do. We have to take showers, right? Not that I don't I want to take a shower, but they don't want to take a shower. Let's not get that mixed up. They, they, don't, they don't want to stop having fun to go take a shower. I'm like, you stink. You need a shower, okay? Um, we, we have to do things that we don't want to do. It's just the way it is. We persevere, right? And it's not just physical things. It's spiritual things, too. We have to persevere uh, through times of maybe some seasonal depression, uh, some real depression, postpartum. There, there's all sorts of, you know, uh, mental issues that people persevere through and have to live with, right? Um, and not just mental, uh, but like I said, spiritual, uh, I think just looking around, knowing conversations that we've had, many of us in here have had to reorganize or re-examine some of our spiritual beliefs over the years, right? Um, we abandoned some things, right? There are things that I don't believe anymore, secondary issues, and I'm okay with that. I have peace with that. Now, there are some people who... They, they could not do that, and that's fine. That's, you know, we can agree to disagree. Uh, we may subscribe to other things that we had not subscribed to before. Um, some of us may have been hurt by a church, uh, by people who we can only assume were well-meaning, but it's didn't, didn't, it didn't not hurt, right? It still hurt. Uh, we may have even hurt others, right? I will admit to that. Uh, and we will likely be doing this spiritual assessment, reassessment over the course of our whole life, right? As long as we're following Christ. And even those people I've seen that have stopped following Christ, that would consider themselves agnostic or maybe even atheist, they still are wrestling with these things. It's not like it's a one and done for most people. It's something that we think about all the time. And as we mature, and for me, as I have been exposed to different circumstances and different situations I've had to realize not everyone is like me not everyone has had the same upbringing not everyone has has had the same opportunity some people have had more opportunities some people have had less and so I've had to reevaluate uh, you know my thoughts on many things and that's healthy right uh, it's healthy to examine things and decide yes this is still true. I still believe this to be true. No, this over here is not true anymore. I do not believe it to be true. All right? Um, and, and it can be, it's healthy to do this. And like anything healthy, it can become unhealthy. I believe if we go too far into it, if we get too far into it, if we, you ever just like got inside your own head and you couldn't get out? I've done that before. Um <clears throat> Maybe I have a little internal pity party. Nobody, nobody. I have to stop that, right? I, can't, I have to, there are points where you have to say, I'm, we need to get out of this. This is not healthy. So, but no matter what, for you, or, or maybe for me, for me for sure, hopefully for you, uh, no matter what happens, uh, I'm clinging to the centrality of the gospel that Jesus Christ died to save me from my sins. And because of his resurrection, I have new life in him. And now, whether or not the, you know, he created the world 6,000 years ago, 
or whether it was through evolutionary processes. I believe one thing. Some other people believe another. It's fine. That part doesn't matter to the central part for me, right? Jesus is a guidepost. He's a compass, a beacon. We can trust him and we can persevere in him. And that's the point of today's passage in Luke 21. He's reminding us, reminding the disciples, and by extension us, to persevere in him. Let's take a look at it. Luke, Luke 21, starting in verse 5. As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, These things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And then he said, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, Nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, for um, the wonderful Savior that he is. Help us today to see how we may be like the disciples. At times we can kind of have our, have our heads in the clouds maybe a little bit, maybe a little uh, blind or deaf to the needs around us and to the realities around us. Uh, help us to realize when we've done that. Help us to realize when even when things seem dark and grim that all is not lost. Help us to persevere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Jesus and the disciples were walking into the temple. Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem. We've been talking the past few weeks about how he was making his way in Luke's gospel at this point to Jerusalem, right? For the time, for the last time. It, it was at this point, this was the Passover week, a big, massive Jewish celebration um, when they remembered the time that God had passed over them in Egypt and had, you know, um, uh, saved them, rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And this was the time when they remembered it. And, and thousands, hundreds of thousands potentially of Jewish people would be in Jerusalem. And this would be Jesus' last week before his death on the cross. And so his disciples, they were kind of touring around, doing different things, talking to different people. They spent a lot of time in the temple. All right. And, and when you think of temple, um, lots of us may think of church, but this was like a grand building okay this was Herod's temple aka the second temple okay Solomon had built the first temple back in you know 
Kings or Chronicles, I don't remember, one of those. Um, back in the Old Testament, King Solomon had built the first temple. It was destroyed, right? Well, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah had started rebuilding this temple around 535 B.C., and it was expanded on by Herod, Herod the Roman governor, from around 20 B.C. until around 10 A.D. or C.E., which is, means the common area, common era, sorry. Uh, this temple was not fully completed in Jesus' lifetime, but it was mostly completed, right? It was mostly complete. It was a massive undertaking. Herod expanded the site from about 17 acres to almost 36 acres. He doubled the size, okay? It consisted of four main areas. Outside was called the Court of the Gentiles. Everyone was welcome. Everyone was welcome here. And then as you went inside, you kind of started to filter out certain people, okay? Um, but in the court of the Gentiles was the marketplace. This is where people would exchange money, right? Because they were bringing all kinds of types of money and denominations from all over uh, everywhere, but only certain money was accepted in Rome. And so you had to exchange that. If you've ever been to a foreign country, you have to exchange your American dollars most of the time for limpiras or, or rubles or pesos, whatever, whatever is the money of the region, right? This is the marketplace is where we saw Jesus flipping tables and chasing people with a whip. One of my favorite portrayals of Jesus. I just have to remember, you know what? Sometimes Jesus got angry too, although his was a righteous anger, not like mine. Um, the court of the Gentiles was butted up against what was called the royal stoa. Okay, it was a, it was an archway that kind of, if you imagine like a wall around the temple, um, this royal stoa consisted of the outer wall and then there was an inner wall that was about I think they said about 30 feet that may be too much I can't remember I didn't write that part down it was very wide had about four columns all in rows and and it was a covered archway right Jesus spent a lot of time in this stoa right it would talk about how they were uh, the disciples would meet with Jesus on like Solomon's porch or various places this was in the royal stoa, okay? It's kind of a common meeting area. <clears throat> and then inside of that was the court, was called the court of the women. Gentiles were not allowed in there, but all Jewish people were allowed in there. Inside of that was the court of the Israelites, where women were not allowed, only the men. And then inside of that was the court of the priests, where only priests were allowed. And inside the court of the priest was called the holy place or the holy of holies, which contained the altar, the table of the presence, all of the, the tools and uh, the, the pieces of furniture that the priests needed to perform their sacrifices and to ask forgiveness for the, the people's sins. The historian Josephus says that this temple was more worthy of mention than any other structure under the sun. Okay, we've heard about the, you know, the great wonders of the world. I think there were eight of them. You know, the Taj Mahal and Hanging Gardens of Babylon and all that sort of stuff. This was right up there with them, right? A grand um, building, okay? And as Jesus is in Jerusalem for the final time, His disciples, His students are excited. Think about it. Put your, put, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a second. Just a few days before they're having this conversation, the people were laying palm branches down before their teacher. And they were shouting, Hosanna! 
right? Save us. They were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, although their idea of Messiah was much different from what it actually was supposed to be, right? But they are part of the movement. The disciples are, if you're a Hamilton fan, in the room where it happened, right? They were in on these big moments. All the people that were proclaiming, the, the, the guy that the people were proclaiming as the Messiah, they had special access to, okay? It was a big deal. They were excited, obviously. Uh, it was hype. Do y'all, does kids say that anymore, Sarah? Do, they people, do people say hype? She's like, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> it, it was an exciting time for them, okay? And maybe they're thinking of themselves in places of honor and looking at the temple, dreaming about a day possibly where they may have some say over what happens in this area. Right? Think about it, man. All these people are saying that my teacher, my Jesus, is the, is the Messiah, right? Which makes him like a ruler over all these things, at least in my limited understanding at the time. Jesus, look at all lit. It was lit, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Although I think like younger Gen Z would be like, what are y'all talking about? We don't say that anymore. It was a big time, right? It was a big deal. And so they're probably looking around me like, Jesus, look. Look at all this cool stuff, man. This is awesome. And, 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 and they're inside, inside them, maybe thinking, we're part of it, right? We're here. We're part of it. And they marvel at it. Life was amazing. And you know, it's a great thing to celebrate when life is going well. I believe we should. Uh, to be thankful for God's provision. Maybe dance a little bit if you know how. I don't know how, so I'm not going to try to. But Jesus has some sober words for them here that probably killed the vibe. Probably was he was he probably sounded like a Debbie Downer at the time, because for Jesus the temple represented a perversion of what God had intended. It had become a site of separation, declaring you are in, you are out. You are you are only in to this point, and you can go no further. Right? Gentiles were excluded. God intended His temple to be a place of inclusion where people were welcome from all nations. And Jesus reminded the people of this when he flipped over the tables a few chapter, or chapters earlier, and he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. He wasn't happy with what it had come to stand for. And he tells the disciples, I tell you that, not a, that a day will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every single beautiful stone that you see, this place that's gilded with gold and intricately carved, they're all going to be tumbled to the ground. Broken. None of them will be left on top of another. Wow. Way to go, Jesus. Thanks. We were all happy and celebrating, and now you've just killed it. Right? Um, why'd you say that? And he was right, of course, because in, in 70... A.D., uh, the temple was torn down by the Romans. It was part of the Jewish-Roman War, which lasted from 66 to 73 CE. Uh, and after this, after this destruction, the people of Israel revamped their whole identity and, their, and all of their traditions because they could no longer go to the temple and offer sacrifices. And so their religion changed in many ways. They didn't have the luxury of Roman protection and cooperation. 
And in many ways, this destruction was a catalyst for the expansion of Christianity because many followers of Christ would have been in Jerusalem and then they had to leave Jerusalem. And as they left, they took their beliefs with them. They told people about the Messiah. They practiced their beliefs of loving God and loving their neighbors wherever they went. And after telling them about this destruction, Jesus goes on to warn them about other dangers. He says many will claim to be Jesus or to speak for Jesus. They will say, I am He, or the time is near. Jesus says, don't follow them. Um, you, could, you could do research and find, I don't know, I, I haven't done research, so I'm, I'm just putting a guess out there. You could probably find two dozen or more times in the last 40, 50 years when people have said, Jesus is coming back, the world will end on this day. And they'll like, you know, put out a date and a time. And they've all passed and they've all not come true. All right, Jesus says, don't follow them. All right, well, how do we know if someone is claiming to speak for Jesus, if they're real or not? Well, we examine the real Jesus, right? The, the, I believe it's the Secret Service. Uh, do you know how they are able to determine real money from counterfeit money? There's so many ways to fake counterfeit money that they don't examine the fake money. They know the real one so well that it's glaringly obvious when something is not real, right? And so for us, that means we examine Jesus so well that we know when someone is speaking something that's not him. If you hear a preacher in real life or you hear someone in real life who, who proclaims to be a Christian and they're speaking hate or prejudice against anyone in any way, shape, or form, that's not Christ. If they're doing anything that doesn't exemplify loving God and loving the people that God created, it's not Christ, right? I understand our Christianity may, may cause us to want to live in certain moral ways and have certain moral behaviors, and that's amazing, that's great. But when we try to use our religion as any kind of power structure or any kind of wedge or any kind of weapon that's veering away from the teachings of Christ right he never did that he was humble he was meek we should do the same do they do people teach love your God love neighbor love your neighbor rather do they teach mercy do they teach forgiveness or do they emphasize legalism do they worry more about divine punishment or retribution like they're trying to scare people into heaven do they sound more like warriors or more like comforters? That's what Jesus was. So we have to know the real deal and to follow him so that it's glaringly obvious whenever someone is, who has, who has a, a platform and a microphone and they're saying things that go against the way Christ was, it will be very obvious. I've seen all my life, all my life I've seen people use a verse within the Bible that says, um, it's out of 2 Timothy, I'm pretty sure, that says a time will come when they will listen or they will want to hear messages that tickle their ears, that make them feel good. And it's always been used to speak out against uh, people who are not conservative enough or not fundamental enough. But the more and more I see what they are saying and what folks are saying, and believing, 
is exactly the opposite, it seems to me. Right? And I'm not even making it a conservative versus liberal sort of thing. I'm just saying the people that are spouting off that verse the loudest seem to be the ones that are that it's talking about the most to me. Jesus speaks of wars. He speaks of rumors of wars. He speaks of persecution and imprisonment. And for the disciples, the people he was talking to in that moment, that was true. Every single one of them faced imprisonment. All but one were martyred for their beliefs. Only the Apostle John died of old age, and he died, of around, he died around 99 A.D., but not before he had been imprisoned. He had been probably tortured. And many of Jesus' followers today face persecution in other countries. They may be forced to meet in secret. They may be harassed socially, charged criminally, shunned by their families. And though we don't experience that level of persecution here in the U.S., we enjoy the freedom to worship without issues. We have churches all over the place. We do still experience hardships. It's much more of a personal thing, just life happening that we have to persevere through. We experience death. We experience sickness, financial struggles, social upheaval, church hurt. And all these things weigh on us and cause us to question the goodness of God at times. But Jesus reminds us, along with the disciples, that these trials can help us to bear witness. In verse 13, he says, this will give you an opportunity to bear witness. As a Christian, our identity, our self-worth is in the one who gave himself for us. We all have things that we identify with. We identify with our family, job, hobbies, sports teams, whatever. But those things don't define us. They're not who we are. As a believer in Christ, we have a personal relationship with God that is impossible apart from Him. We receive love. We receive forgiveness. We receive value from Him. And with the expectation that we share that same love, forgiveness, and value to those around us, right? Everyone else that is made in the image of God. We are a conductor, not like a train conductor with a hat and a whistle, but we're like an electrical conductor, a conduit of His love, like ripples in a pond. When we are impacted by Christ, it should reverberate out into every area of our lives. Not so that we can uphold some image that has been thrown together, like, look at me, I am Christian man. Right? I'm not. I'm a mess, y'all. Uh, uh, we, we're not trying to you know, uphold some legalistic image of what it means to be Christian. Ladies, you can wear pants. Christians can drink responsibly. We can eat bacon. That's the best part, I think. We can enjoy the life that God, <laughs> that God has given us. We can experience this true joy because we have harmony with our Creator. And everyone can experience this joy. It's not meant for us to hoard it up and to keep it all for ourselves. It's meant for us to tell everyone about it and to share everyone about it, to share our joy with everyone. And our lives can bear witness. Our lives can bear witness to that. In verse 15, Jesus promises His presence in times of trouble. He says, I will give you words and wisdom. And no matter what happens in this life, we have Jesus. We may not have the best homes or cars or clothes, but we have Jesus. Our jobs may be really hard or frustrating, but we have Jesus. And no matter what, through tragedy, loss, sickness, a global pandemic, we have Jesus. And we can rest in that. And we need to be more eager to help others to see their need for Jesus in their own lives. 
Not so that we can fix them, not because they're projects that need saving, but just because we've, we can't contain the joy and the presence and the relationship that we have found. It has to flow out. And you may hear this and think, you know, I don't know that I have Jesus. I don't know that, that I've ever experienced it like you're talking about. Um, there was a time when, when I may have believed that Jesus was real, but I just don't anymore. You know, I just don't know. Um, I've never prayed to Jesus. I've never asked forgiveness of my sins. Um, life is really hard right now. I'm really discouraged. Uh, or there's something going on that I don't even know what's going on, but I just, I, life is really hard and I don't know why. You can bring all that to Jesus today. I'm not saying that he's going to snap his fingers and fix your financial hardships or fix whatever's going on. Uh, that's not been my experience. But what has been my experience is that he loves me and he helps me to persevere and he gives me strength to make it through these hard times. That's what I know of Jesus. Right? We can bring all of this to him today. He promises to help us he didn't say that he would remove it, but he would help us through it. Maybe you're here and you've placed your faith in Christ. Uh, you haven't ever taken a next step to be baptized or to make like a formal kind of public testimony about it. We can talk about that today. I'd love to talk about that with you. Maybe you just feel far from Christ and you want to return. I'd love to pray with you about all those things. Um, I'd love to pray for all of us for those things because as we go through this week, May we pray for Jesus to help us realize His presence. To feel it physically. I believe that's a real thing. To feel the presence of God. To feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this week that He would help us to radiate that presence and that love into those people around us. And especially if we're having a tough day. He wants to help us. I believe it brings Him joy to help us. So let us seek it and seek that today. I'm going to leave us with some words from Debbie Thomas. I read more people than, than Debbie Thomas, I promise. Every week I think I put in a Debbie Thomas quote, uh, but she just always seems to express things so well. Uh, this is a challenge uh, for us this week. Make peace. Choose hope. Cultivate patience. And love as the world reels and changes. Expect things to get hard. And then expect them to get harder. Endure even when they do. Know that God is near. No matter what the world looks or feels like, speak the truth. Trusting that God's, pre God's Spirit is alive and present in our acts of bearing witness. Be faithful until the end because God is still, always and everywhere, a God of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, your mercy. Help us to persevere in times of trouble when things are difficult. And then help us to radiate the joy of the relationship that we have to those around us, in our family, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, our communities. Um, thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you so much for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
hey thanks for listening to the hopecast we hope that this was an encouragement to you if you have any questions or comments concerns that you would like to address with anything you've said or just have questions about our church or would like some prayer please reach out to us our email is hopechurchrc at gmail.com you can find us on social medias at hopechurchrc or visit us on our website at hopechurchrc.org and if you're in the rutherford county area we'd love to have you come visit us we meet at 10 a.m sunday mornings at forest hunt elementary school we have a very casual atmosphere contemporary music selection really simple worship we'd love to see you come visit us peace